everyone. You are very welcome to Commerce Talk from Smart OSC. This is the podcast that keeps you one step ahead in business and in leadership. I am your host, Aziza O'Byrne. Now, can I ask, have you ever wondered why so many great strategies never get implemented? Joining me today is one of the world's most sought after and respected experts in the realm of strategy implementation. Robin has worked with some of the world's top performing organizations to help reshape how they think, act and approach implementing their strategies using his groundbreaking frameworks, tools and techniques. He's also one of the world's most prolific writers on this subject, so you're really in for a treat today. His innovative approaches have been featured in such media worldwide as BBC World, CNBC and Forbes. He is the kind of person that not only looks outside of the box, he might even tell you you never needed a box to begin with. Today, we'll be delving into his Amazon number one and international bestseller, which has been translated into six languages. This tells the story of his work that contributed to the remarkable and world famous transformation of DBS Bank in Singapore, titled World Best, World's Best Bank, A Strategic Guide to Digital Transformation which is now available in Vietnamese. What a time to be alive. Please join me in giving a very warm welcome to the brilliant Robin Speckland. Thank Robin. you for that, Aziza. <laughs> you. I'm just going to go going now. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> and Lovely scene. intro. Well done. You can do all the ones going forward. <laughs> thank you so much. And listen, thank you so much for the time that you've given us today. I Great to no, be with you. Yeah, I'm absolutely delighted. I came across you a year ago, thanks to the brilliant people at UCC, University College Cork, and their Transformation Lab. And it is amazing to get to actually chat to you now in person and to tell our listeners this story, uh, an incredible story that I got to hear, which is that story of DBS Bank in Singapore. Now, for those who may not have heard of you, have may not had the honor and joy to hear of you, would you mind telling us a little bit about your career journey to date? from Scotland to Singapore and everything in between. So I've been very fortunate that I live my passion, which is implementing strategy, but finding my passion was a journey to get here. So yeah, I grew up in Scotland and you know, it's a, I'm slightly biased, but it's a beautiful country and we share our Celtic uh, neighbors and we both love the country. <laughs> and so, you know, the, the beauty of it. And I left to study first in the UK and then I lived and worked in the US, in Australia and Hong Kong. And I was in various work and roles. And really as any youngster, you're looking for what you love. Um, so one of the things is, it's it statistically shown that one out of two people are in jobs that they don't like. I'm one of the ones who's lucky enough not to be in a job that I love, but it's my passion. Mm -hmm. So I'm a strategy and digital implementation specialist. Now, what does that mean? Well, putting it very simply, one of the strategy houses will come in and craft your strategy for it. Then they walk out and I walk in. <laughs> so I don't craft strategy, but once the organization knows what it wants to do, I then help them support it. But there's a give, sorry, there's a big gap between knowing what to do and actually doing it, which we'll come to later. Yeah, that's really interesting. And you've said before that most leaders today really need that ability to not just craft it, but go ahead and run with it. So can we chat a bit about that? With pleasure. So 
the challenge is leaders put together the strategy mm. and they're excited and they spent months, sometimes years planning it. And they've worked hard and sometimes they outsource and get support and they've done the analysis. Where will they differentiate? How will they compete? What will change within the organization? Then they stand up in front of the whole organization and they announce, da, 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 here's our new strategy. And everyone's pumping and cheering and there's music playing and CEO on the stage and emails going out and messages on social media. And then what? It's almost like they, they fall off the end of a cliff because within six months, the whole theme of the new strategy and its implementation dissipates because the organization and leaders don't follow through. They don't explain what has to happen for every employee. And unfortunately, what, only one out of every three implementation in today's digital world is succeeding, which is either means two out of three companies are failing. 67% of implementations fail. I mean, that statistic has been, it's been a collective bout of research from huge names out there, you, yeah. huge research, research bodies out there. And it's so shocking to hear that that's the case. And a lot of us, and I, you know, when I think about strategy, I think about how a lot of us think that that's the big, we're, we're done, right? We devised this incredible strategy and that's most of the job done. You're kind of, you know, wiping your hands after it. What is it that, or what are the areas that organizations really need to focus on then after that, within that strategy implementation? Well, that's the $6 million question yeah. for today, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so we've only got 50 more, so I'll keep it short and sharp yeah. first as an intro. The first thing is what's missing is the discipline. As I said in the intro, knowing what to do and doing it is two different things. So let me give you an example of what I mean by that. We all know eating healthy is good for us. But when you sit down at the restaurant and you see the pizza, the hamburger, the French fries, yeah, this one down, much, you know, and do we really choose the healthier option? Or we all know that exercising is good for us. And everyone, you know, everyone says a minimum 20 minutes, go out, even just a walk get some fresh air. We know it, but we do it. I'll give you one more fascinating mm. one. What percentage of doctors smoke? Now, what's one of the first questions when you go and see your GP that they will ask you? you smoke Are you a smoker? Drink. Everybody knows you're not supposed to. Almost one out of five doctors smoke. And what's even worse is for nurses, the number's even higher because they have to deal with the doctors. So knowing what to do and doing it is completely two different things. Mm -hmm. So the first area that we can talk about is it takes a discipline. Being called to craft your strategy by your CEO, it's like, whoa, I'm one of the, this is great. And you're excited and you're chopped and you're telling your significant other but when you get a similar call from the CEO and they says, we need you to implement the strategy, it's like, huh, what did I do wrong? Why me? It's almost like a punishment. Now mm. I exaggerate to make a point, but it's not that big an exaggeration. Mm. We still see strategy as all the promise and the future and the exciting. And many people think implementation as a, huh? It's like, why? It's a boring, it's tough, but I love it. 
because mm. that's where you see the rubber hit the road. That's where you see the results. That's where you see the impact, not just on your customers, but all your stakeholders, your environment, the culture, the employees, everyone. And that's mm. where we make the difference. That's a really nice way of putting it. And it's that combination of all of these beautiful areas and these amazing parts of a business. And I know you've said before in the past, superior performance is striking that balance between this crafting of the strategy and executing it. And a lot of times, as you've mentioned there, they fail to meet. But there was one company, and I guess this is the whole epicenter of this incredible story within your book, and it was DBS Bank in Singapore who managed to strike that balance. Um, so what was it about that, or how did they manage to strike that balance, and how did they manage to begin that journey in becoming the world's best bank? Okay, great. Thank you for that. And I'll answer in two parts, because yeah. as a follow-up to your first question, I will add, I introduced that it does take discipline but it takes discipline, which will roll into the DBS story, around eight key areas. And the eight areas are something that I introduced 20 years ago now called the Implementation Com Compass, a framework that hasn't changed since I introduced it. And these eight areas came from our research across the world into the top performing companies that you mentioned at the beginning, that are so successful. So I'll mention those first and then explain that how the DBS story started Brilliant. with their transformation. First is your people. The caliber of your people dictate the caliber of your implementation. And today in our digital world, we have to retrain, reskill and reallocate many of our employees. We're all learning how to do coding we're all learning HTML and Python. We're all learning what ha hackathons are, design thinking and how to create ecosystems, a whole new skill set. The second area is the business case. Why does our organization need to change? Which creates a sense of urgency. The third area, many people know, it's communication. Mm -hmm. You've got to nurture the communication throughout your journey. but. Even though leaders again know it, again, they don't do it. The, one of the top three reasons in every single of our research over 20 years, poor communication is in the top three of why implementation fails. The fourth of the eight areas is measurement. When you change your strategy, you have to change the measures. Otherwise you're measuring the old strategy. At five at South and what I call my compass is the culture. The culture drives the way you implement. Then as you move around the compass, you have the three others. You've got to change the way people work. I call it the processes. Then you've got to reinforce the behaviors, the reinforcement, and leaders have to constantly review. And what DBS did so successfully is under the stewardship of its CEO, Piyush, Piyush Gupta, they started to transform. And the first strategy was about getting those eight all in place. He wanted to move DBS from a local to an international standard bank, and they focused in many of these areas. And then the second area, which we can talk more about, which is what the book's based on, is how they successfully launched and implemented their digital strategy. And it also became one of the top 10 uh, digital transformations of the last decade, as according to Harvard. Incredible. It's incredible. What was it in terms of, you know, the the starting point 
because I remember looking back and seeing I think it was an interview where you said you know you you went in to work with the CEO and DBS was at a point where we need to change like we will not survive unless we go forward unless we change going forward so getting into that space then what was the journey without giving away too much of the book no not at all no so much more in the book that's just <laughs> um, so the the i've actually asked the same question to piyush and he and mm. i have known each other now we used to work together in city group and you know, I just caught up with him last week. We were talking and he'll say it over and over. The number one, uh, or not number one, but one of the top successes and the catalyst for their change was the board. Mm. So PH will always emphasize it's critical that the leadership team have a relationship, a good relationship with the board. And in digital transformation, that's even more important for two very powerful reasons. The first one, is your capex, your capital expenditure, as you launch into digital, can be very high, especially yeah. for traditional companies, because you've got to restructure your whole technology platform. And we're talking millions of dollars. Mm. The second reason is it's not about applying digital lipstick. Now, huh? what's digital lipstick? Digital lipstick is when you tweak your website or your app to make it look a little bit better. <laughs> that's not digital transformation. That's digital lipstick. Digital transformation is when you reinvent the whole organization. And when you're changing your whole business, you better make sure your board is on board to follow you on that. I so love that. that was you know, the initial critical success that in 2013, the board of DBS they recognized they had to change or die. Now, many of us uh, know that expression today, but DBS was one of the first, if not the first, to see the threat of fintechs and technology, you know, being placed, you know, just near China. We saw what was happening with Alibaba and, um, you know, with, with uh, Tencent, with uh, WeChat, WePay, for example. Mm. So that threat was what was the catalyst for them. And the board gave the leadership team to, uh, let me put it into US dollars, 137 million US dollars and said, go and have fun. Wasn't linked to their bonus, wasn't linked to their leadership, wasn't linked to the PL. It was literally an investment in their future. So the kickoff was the smartness of the board and the leadership team to recognize before almost anyone else or many others that digital was going to transform their industry. I, I love that. I love that so much because it's almost uh, the the beauty of accountability as well. And I think it was this mer emergence of the trust, but also the accountability of the board and the leadership being just a part, just as much part of that journey as it was for everyone on the front lines of that business as well. And it was this kind of full circle of everyone getting in there together, that collaboration, that design thinking approach of just multiple uh, areas of a business combining to well, you hit on a key thing you said mm. everyone together mm. that that you, you're absolutely hit the nail on the head because most organizations it's not all together it's all in different directions yes so one of the things one of the early steps that the bank did exceedingly well was they articulated their digital ambition and your digital ambition is what does digital mean not to us but to our customers, mm. then what will be the impact on our business model? And then how will we change it? So three very significant things. 
What does it mean to your customer? What does it mean to our business? And how will we change it? And for DBS, they came up with a statement that said, we're going to make banking joyful. Yes. <laughs> joyful in banking, not a word we associate. You know, Disneyland, Universal Studios, <laughs> they're joyful. Sitting on the Maldives on the beach for some of us is joyful. <laughs> Going to the bank, not joyful. So what was it? Are they crazy? No. They saw an opportunity that digital would make banking invisible. So it took the pain. So for example, you know, before you had to do a transaction, before digital banking, you had to get in your car or take public transport, go down to your local branch, find a parking space, hope it's not raining, get into the branch, find the form, fill in the form, wait in line. <sighs> then you get to yes. the front of the line only to be told you filled in the wrong form. And then you have to reverse the whole process. Of course, today, younger people just laugh at us, go, two seconds, it's done on my mobile. That was the opportunity that they saw that banking would take the pain. Nobody wakes up on a Monday morning going, let's go banking. That's yes. what got them excited. That That is, and I think for our listeners coming into this story, it's one of the parts that I think stood out the most was this insight and in looking at customer centricity which we talk about a lot on this podcast but it was finding that insight or that piece of uh, research that said that people would prefer to get a root canal than go to (laughs) the bank they'd rather go get a root canal (laughs) than have to go to their bank so it was that journey to make banking joyful how important was that to future proof them at that time but it was also the contrast that that's how be- uh, painful <laughs> banking was a root canal you're already oh, people are squirming and you're that's how painful banking is was perceived so to future proof them it was the future they've now been awarded the world's best bank five years in a row now how does a small bank in singapore that most people had never heard of overtake all the other banks you know, when I was at bank, I was regional VP for Citigroup, Asia Pacific. You know, I was in Citigroup and everyone looked to the West and but oh my, we mostly looked at banking in the West. Now everyone is looking East. Mm. And DBS, how could they leapfrog? There was only, you know, well, not only, but the opportunity came because of digital. DBS did not just digitalize the bank, they revolutionized banking. And they completely reinvented the whole way you work. As bankers, we weren't talking about open APIs, ecosystems, coding, data analysis. It's a whole new language, a whole new world. Mm. So they reinvented the whole way and revolutionized banking. And that allowed them to redesign and then reinvent and future-proof for tomorrow that's given them that recognition, which is also a great name for a book. Yeah, it is. Let's write that down. TM, trademark it quickly. Um, it, that's an important part as well there because it was, from what I could see, and a lot of our listeners, I think, can take value out of this. It was a point where they not only looked at their competitors in the market, they not only looked sideways at other banks, they were looking at companies like Amazon. And I think there, there came out this question of what would Jeff do? And it's that kind of idea of looking outside of yourself 
to future proof yourself or maybe upskill yourself? Well, I'll, I'll t give you a little bit of a tweak on what you're yeah. asking. I mean, I was very fortunate that uh, Piyush gave me two years exclusive access into the bank. As well as that, I also published the case study with Singapore Management University, which is now the number one case in the university. Uh, just last week, Piyush agreed he'll let me write another case study on what the work they're doing now. Um, as you mentioned at the beginning, thank you for that. My business partner, Pap, in Vietnam has translated world's best banks. So it's now one of the, the six, uh, seven languages available mm -hmm. in is Vietnamese. Um, so... What I, you know, my studying for the, the case, the, the book, the, the research I've done, the work I've done with them as a consultant, it's the way they address the problems. There's a magic. It's the, the solutions they come up with. And I'll give you a couple of examples. And I actually have a whole new keynote, which just highlights one after the <laughs> other. So I'll give you some of the best. So you already mentioned, how do you, you know, they said in 2013, they wanted to become a tech company with banking services. Now, once again, we've all heard the term now, but if they were one of the first, again, if not the first, to say it. So how do you get bankers to think like techies? Mm. Now, we're trained as bankers. We're trained to mitigate risk, how to think, how to, you know. Now you want us to change our whole mindset? Any behavioral psychologist will tell you not easy to do. So again, they were very creative using what you said. They said, don't think like a banker, think like Jeff from Amazon. And Jeff Bezos is known for being customer centric. Mm. So that was one of the tricks they used. But having that on your own is not enough. So they also went to the world's leading tech companies and learned the best practices. Okay, it's not unusual. But the next step was, they took the acronym from all the companies they visited and they used the term Gandalf. This was 10 years ago, and it's still alive today. Now, who's Gandalf? Well, readers will know, you know, fiction will know Lord of the Rings by Tolkien. He's the wizard. And for example, the G, the G is Google, where they learned about open source. N is Netflix in it, where they learned about using data on customers. A is for Apple, where they use design. And the D in the middle, is DBS, the Digital Bank of Singapore. And using Gandalf as a wizard, what do wizards do? They create magic. So using Gandalf is your opportunity to create magic and banking. Once again, joyful magic, not our normal language as bankers. Uh, I'll give you one more example. Um, they, they always, you know, one of the biggest frustrations for employees, especially implementing in the digital world, is we have policies and procedures that are 10, 20, 30 years old. And employees are banging their head against the wall going, oh, this is so frustrating and annoying. But there's nothing they can do. What was the DBS solution? In Singapore, we have a term called kiasu. It means playing safe. So T DBS took the local term for playing safe and they had fun with it. They created literally an artificial courtroom in the bank with a judge who's the head of legal and they call it the Kiasu Committee. And any employee can put a policy or procedure up to the judge and present their case 
why that policy or procedure should be eliminated. Now, the extra step of the committee, it's not to make it difficult, it's governance, because there may be a, a legal reason or a central bank issue that drives it. But on other occasions, it's just a stupid procedure. Wow. And the head of legal and compliance with two other the judges will make a decision and it's gone. So it turns again into an everyday problem. They have fun with it. And yeah. we could spend the rest of the podcast just talking about how <laughs> that they create. You know, I call it the DBS wow factor. There's so many elements and I know that it's such a brilliant book, exciting story. And there's so much in that that will really tie into just our, any business, any organization looking to change themselves yeah. in the future. Well said, yeah, it's not just for banking. When yeah. Kiyush and I decided the petitioning of the book, we wanted it to support leaders in any industry. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's everything because I can, even when you're talking there, I can see so many instances and in not only my own career, but I know a lot of people listening into this will see so many similarities in, you know, trying to get that communication off the ground the bureaucracy all of these things that sometimes can cause stops in your want to change and your want to move forward this is probably going to be very hard to summarize but maybe in short if there's any way to ask this wh why or why has dbs bank succeeded what was so the magic <laughs> i knew you were going there okay. yes but i can so many give you the short answer yeah okay so first of all they had a they were very clear on how to implement. Mm. So they focused on three strategic principles. The first one was to have technology to the core. So I'll talk just briefly about each of the three. So what does that mean? It means re and they spent about three quarters of a billion, not million, billion US dollars every year on technology. So they're constantly updating, upgrading, and testing and experimenting with technology. So that was step one. Step two was being customer obsessed. Now, plenty of banks around the world say, we're going to be number one in customer service. So what's the difference? How did DBS succeed? The difference today is two key components. The first one is called customer journey mapping. The bank mapped every customer virtually and physically on their journey. So much so that today they have a goal in the bank to solve 1 million customer problems before the customer even knows they have a problem. Now, huh? How can you solve a problem before you even? Because they can predict the problems are going to happen. How? By using data, which is the second component. Today, you can really understand your customer by using N equals one, which is gives you mass customization. We're using just the data source where you can drill it down to N equals one. We can really articulate what every single customer, their preferences, their particulars, their differences. So today DBS sends out on average 45 million nudges every month, not year, every month to its customers on helping them improve their banking and the way they work. And the third area, is the culture. They wanted to create a startup culture. Now, why a startup? Why would a bank want to start up? Well, what do we associate startup cultures with? Fast decision-making, quick to respond, close to the customer, less bureaucracy. And these were all their focus. 
So they took out, you know, they 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 tried, sorry, they, they wanted to create the startup culture so that they could really respond quickly to their customers and accelerate their performance. So that was the overriding guiding principle. And then the world's best bank, the book, drills down under those three of how they did each of the different stages. That's brilliant. That's incredible. And I think that startup culture leads me into one of my next questions, which is, I think when you look at a startup, you think of a place that is focused on or has no other most options than to experiment and test and trial. I'd love to know, in your opinion, how important is experimentation for the success of businesses today? So the first part of that is it depends what business you are in, Mm. because certain industries, it's not as critical or important as others. But in general, experimentation is not just critical, it's part of our DNA. The challenge we have today is that we we shifted the whole way we work. The old mindset was you used to have a, you needed to have a perfect product or a perfect service before you went to market. That's the old way of thinking. We all know the new is now you experiment and you'll throw out what we call a minimum viable product, an MVP, and you'll test it with your customers and you'll get feedback and you'll tweak it and you'll either scrap it or you'll improve it or you'll change it. Mm. So experimentation has become critical. And two other things I'll quickly mention. One is to make experimentation work, you have to have a culture of experimental uh, psychological of safety, which has really been developed by Amy Emerson, professor over at Harvard. Uh, Amy was doing her doctorate, her own PhD, when she came across you know, this area that top performing teams didn't report less mistakes, but more mistakes. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they felt safe to report them. Traditionally, when you made a mistake, you didn't even tell your boss, you hid it in fear of being punished or penalized. So she's really led the way in this thinking. So you've got to create a culture of psychological safety. Now to go from punishing failures to rewarding them is not easy. DBS mm. did it. See, um, every quarter when D- um, Piyush does his quarterly meetings, he gives out the Dare to Fail Award. Huh? People who tried and failed. Now as bankers, we are taught to mitigate risk. So this helped create the culture, among other things, to create safe. The other critical component I'll mention is our customers are now open to experimentation. They're not looking anymore. Just They know companies are experimenting and they'll happily contribute. Why? Because they're invested with that company. They like buying their, their product, their service on their platform. And customers will give us feedback. So we've changed the whole environment of business. So today, experimentation is part of our DNA. And depending on your industry, some will be much quicker and much more important and much more uh, higher on their uh, what needs to get done. I love that. I love that end piece as well with the customer. And it's almost like a co-creation era that we're stepping into. Nice work for it, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'm going to just ask one thing about one thing that I saw from you, because I know a lot of small businesses would listen. Just to one, just one. Well, thing. No, there's a few. <laughs> this one, <laughs> I'm so many. And I know I don't want to take, I could take hours of talking to you. There's so much, but I know um, we'll probably get you on again 
I'd say in the future. So for our listeners, just know that that's happening one day in the future. But a lot of small businesses would listen to this podcast. And I've seen you mentioned before, which is so interesting to me, is that um, we talk, we're, you know, in a culture of talking about red flags. And you mentioned before, someone saying that they have a digital strategy is a red flag. Thank you for mentioning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah. organizations today, many other, or of 80% of the consultancy, let me put it this way, 80% of the consultancy work I do is helping organizations who are looking at their digital strategy. And when I hear a, a leader say, we have a digital strategy, I immediately get concerned. Now, why? What's wrong with a digital strategy? It's not about having a digital strategy, but a strategy in a digital world. Mm -hmm. So is that just semantics? No. When you have a digital strategy, it narrows your thinking. First of all, you get so consumed in even understanding what is a digital strategy and what does it mean and understanding all the different elements and components that we've been talking about. On top of that, it just narrows because you get so focused within your organization. Now, to put it a different way, the winds of change blow faster and quicker externally than they do internally today. What's happening outside your organization is, hap is happening faster and quicker than your organization is changing. Mm. So today, you, when you have a strategy in a digital world, it broadens your perspective and you're much more aware of what's happening, for example, with commodities or um, unfortunately the wars that are going on or, or um, sustainability. I mean, a simple example from a couple of years ago was the, the ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah. Okay, minor incident. It caused a three month backlog in supply chain across the world. So there are many things that are happening and we've not even touched these on the technology and or something like generative AI that's reinventing the whole way we do business again. So you've got to be constantly aware of what's happening outside while you're changing inside. Yeah, so well put and really, really good, I think, to to have it, have in your mind as a business as well, because even on the inside as well, potentially the development of silos because of just a focus on digital alone as a strategy. Um, any emerging trends that you're looking at it for the future? Uh, always. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's rapidly changing world, as I just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, the one on everybody's tongue right now, of course, is generative AI. Yeah. But we have to remember it's only in its infancy. It's only 12 months old. Mm. You're 11 and a half months old, you know, since we launched it. So what its impact is going to be, it were just the tip of the iceberg. We still don't know. So that's going to be one of the most influential, which along with AI and machine learning, you know, is redefining. But these are, you know, we're, we're all aware of. Yeah. The other things that are, you know, impacting is that for my, my, myself I'm watching is as we started this conversation, how organizations are successfully changing. Because so many of us need to transform and we're failing two thirds of the time. So my passion, what I live and breathe, is supporting leaders on helping them implement. And the challenge we have is that leaders have been taught how to plan, but not how to implement. 
I did my MBA, executive MBA at the National University in Singapore. And, you know, of course, I had a curriculum uh, in the curriculum was a module on strategy. Couldn't do a business degree without talking strategy. But nobody teaches you how to implement. So for me, the trend that I'm working and following, and I actually have another company I run with a partner in Europe called the Strategy Implementation Institute, Ooh. where we provide an online course and certification to guide and help people become certified. So my the trend I'm watching is helping leaders gain that knowledge and helping them learn how to implement that strategy. That's wonderful. And finally, you know, looking back at yourself, your younger self, I always ask this question to our guests. I love I love it as so much as a question. Is there any advice or one piece of advice that you'd like to offer your younger self if you could sit in a room with them? What would you say? Um, oh, I'd give you two, if mm. that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the first there. one is continuously learn. You know, it, and especially today, there's just so much going on. I mean, I'm a readaholic. <laughs> and, you know, whether it's an audio book, whether you're reading it, whether it's digit, it doesn't matter. But I mean, books are wonderful. And I'm not just saying that because I'm an author of eight of them. But, um, you know, somebody will summarize everything in, and you can buy it for like $20, whatever. So, you know, be a reader, be a learner. There's so many different platforms, TED Talks or e-courses you can take. So constantly be a learner. You know, always push yourself and learn areas that are outside your comfort zone. You know, listen to talks you wouldn't normally it exposes you and it broadens your thinking. And then the second part I would say to myself is just get on and do it. You've got to, <laughs> you know, as an implementation specialist, strategy is about the thinking, which is the knowledge, but the doing is where we make the difference. So it's that. all about the doing. In fact, I'll give your reader, your listeners a, a riddle just to emphasize this one. Five birds sit on a fence. Three decide to leave. How many birds are left on the fence? So some say zero, some say two, some say five. Every time I ask it, how many birds are left on the fence? Five. Why? Well, they listen to this great podcast about how to get to the other side of the fence. They even had a conference call on the first Monday of every month discussing what to do to get to the other side of the fence but they didn't take the action. Oh, my so whether you listen to a podcast, read a book, listen to an interview, you know, attend a conference, what's the one thing you'll do different? So always continuously, for me, it's always learning to continuously challenge myself. Knowledge is free. Action is what makes the difference. That is such a wonderful note to end on. I think for anyone wanting to learn something and take action, I think your book is a great way to do so as well. If anybody listening to this would like to check it out, I know we'll have it in our description, but is there anywhere else that you'd like to tell them to go to? They, they just need to Google in uh, my name and World's Best Bank and it will all come up. And of course, it will keep them one step ahead. business. <laughs> it's that good with that thank you so much robin for joining us i really thank appreciate you for a wonderful time and discussion thank you